good morning, Community Alliance Church. Good morning to our online audience tuning in this morning. I have been looking forward to this all week long. Not just because today I get to hold this little friend in my hand to help me get started with the sermon. So I know what some of you guys are thinking. He has a live frog on the stage with him. I would never do that. This is a live toad, okay? <laughs> now I know what a few of you are thinking. Did you hold that toad in the first service? And didn't I shake hands with you between the first service and the second service? I want you to know there was a time of hand sanitizing and hand washing that took place in between the services. So you're good. Why do I have a live toad with me on the stage this morning? Well, if you're here this morning and you have made the decision at some point in your life to follow Jesus, you've given your life to him, I want to use this toad to explain to you that you and this toad are very similar. Now, before you get offended, give me a moment to explain what I mean by that. Well, if you think about this toad, long before he was a petrified little sermon illustration trying to get out of my hand, he was one of these, a tadpole. A tadpole swimming around in a body of water with a slimy little head and a slimy little tail. But more important than anything else, this little tadpole, long before he was a toad, had gills. Tadpoles have gills like a fish that pull oxygen out of the water around them in order to survive. They live completely underneath the water. If they came out of the water and came up onto the stage this morning, they would suffocate and die from a lack of oxygen. But then about 10 weeks into this tadpole's life, an amazing process happened called metamorphosis. The little tail disappeared, the little head changed, it got legs, it got arms, and more important than anything else, the gills that were pulling oxygen out of the water transformed into lungs that began to pull oxygen out of air. And whereas this little creature that would once die if it lived upon the land with oxygen and no water, it now changed into something that was actually designed to live on the land with lungs to pull its oxygen out of the air. And this morning, I want to put forth the idea that if you are a follower of Jesus, when you chose to follow him, there was a similar change that took place in your life. That inside of you, Jesus Christ made a change and recreated you, no longer made to live in one world, but remade you to live in another world. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull them out. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to put this little friend away. I do not want this sermon illustration to become more memorable than I mean for it to be this morning. And just so you know, there's the hand sanitizer. All right, Colossians chapter 2. So we've been in this study in Colossians. We're calling it Jesus is Greater Than. And as you might have picked up from the video or you remember from previous sermons, we're talking about this idea that Jesus is greater than because Paul writes this letter to this little church in Podunk, Nowhereville, Colossae, that's going through all of these big time problems. And they're wrestling with what's going on in our lives since Jesus came into them. And Paul assures them over and over again in many, many different areas of their lives that Jesus is greater than. Now we're going to pick up our conversation in a verse that we actually covered a few weeks ago, but it's going to launch us into where we're going today. And Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. 
he uses this idea that you're going to see over and over again, not just in the letter to the Colossians, but in really all of the letters that Paul writes. It's this idea of death to life. If you read the New Testament letters, it's kind of like the smoke of a campfire. This idea of death to life follows you around no matter where you sit. You're going to keep on coming across it. And it's an idea that I would kind of liken to a mansion. If you think of a mansion, a, a huge structure, a mansion will have many, many interesting rooms. The idea of death to life in Scripture is a mansion that has many, many rooms. And today we're just going to kind of look at one of the rooms within that bigger house. There's some other facets that we're not going to have time to cover. All right, so what does Paul mean when he writes to these people? You were dead, but you came alive. And what does he mean to you if you've decided to follow Jesus? You were dead, but, but now Jesus has made you alive. I mean, if you think about it, when you gave your life to Christ, you probably didn't feel like a Frankenstein-type creature that received a bunch of electricity, and then you just came alive. So what does he mean? Well, I, I think it can help us if we think of it in terms of what world were you made for, and what world were you recreated for? At the risk of some oversimplification, let's think of it like this. Try to pull this out. Okay, so let's think. There are two worlds. And in fact, on your sermon notes, you'll see two, two different worlds. One world is this world. It's kind of the world that we all live in. We know a lot about this world. It's where we breathe. It's where we go to work. It's where we have relationships. It's the earthly present world. And then there's another world, really. It's an e eternal world. It's the world that's sort of intersecting with this world, but it's the world that's also bigger than this world. Now, keeping with our analogy of the toad, we could say that this world's kind of like water. In this world, gills are what you need to survive, to get your oxygen, to get your life. Every human being, at some point in their life, has gills. They're, they're living in this world. But then the eternal world that's coming is more like a land world. It's a world uh, of lungs. It's a world beyond this world. Now, now here's the reality. I, I realize in an audience of this size, as well as the, the world that can tune in through the internet, we're going to have people that are listening to this, and they're going to say, well, you know, maybe that's what you Christians believe, that there's, there's a world after this world. But actually what you realize is that we all know that regardless of what we believe happens after this world, we all know that our time in this world is limited, isn't it? Right? We all know that there's sort of an arrow in our lives, that, that we're headed, if, we're, if this world is like water, we're all headed kind of irreversibly to shore. There's going to come some point in all of our time that we leave this world and we head into the eternal world. Now, keeping with the analogy of water, but like that tadpole, as long as it was going to stay in the water, gills would be fine for, for survival. That would be all that it needed. And if we were to just stay in this world forever, then we wouldn't need to worry about how we were going to survive in the next world. But what Paul is saying is that we all know that we're leaving the water. We're going to hit the shore. We're going to be on land. We're going to go from a world made for gills to a world where you're going to need lungs to survive. Whatever that eternal world is, you're going to need something different than what you had in this world. And so when he says you were dead, I think what he's kind of saying is you, you were basically as good as dead, right? If I, if I had that tadpole and as long as it was in the water, it was going to survive. But if I scooped it out of the water and I held it on the stage, then even when it was in the water, it was going to be as good as dead because it was coming out of the water at some point. 
And he's saying that you were coming out of this world at some point, folks, and you were as good as dead then. You might not feel it then, but, but we all know that you're leaving that place. And, and you're, you were dead because you didn't have the equipment inside. You didn't have the spiritual nature inside of you that you were going to need to live for the eternal world. And that's when Jesus Christ came into your life. And so when Paul writes this, he says, when Jesus Christ came into your life, you didn't have what you needed for the eternal world, but he made you alive. He put his spirit inside of you. He made a change inside of you. There was a metamorphosis that happened. You were living in a world that was in a broken relationship with God, that was, that was breathing in sin, but you were remade with sort of spiritual lungs to live in an eternal world that was made for holiness, that was made for a relationship with God. Jesus made a change inside of you. He gave you spiritual lungs because you were going into a world World, a spiritual world where you are going to need lungs to survive. And I think this describes what some of us may have felt when we came to Jesus. In fact, a few weeks ago, I had a woman who came up to me after one of our services. She had, had given her life to Christ, and she said, I just, I just feel a joy inside of me. I can't stop crying. And maybe when you came to Jesus at some point in your life, you felt that same change take place inside of you. Something was different. Something was alive. Paul is saying to the Colossians, look, that happened in your life. Then he asks them a question based on that reality in verse 20. He says to them, since you died, there's the idea again, we're going to see it over and over again. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rule? He's saying you were changed, you don't belong to this world world anymore. And he alludes to two realities that all of us who are Christians face. One is this. Even though we were recreated spiritually for the eternal world, we still live in this world, don't we? We still swim in the water. We're still in the pond. We've got a promise for the future, but we're, this is our reality now. And the second reality is this. Think about that toad. It can live in the water a little bit, but if, if I held it under the water, submerged it in the water, because it now has lungs, it can't survive forever. It'll, it'll at some point drown. Because when you've been remade with lungs and you go back to having to live in the water, it doesn't get easier, it gets harder, right? It gets harder to live in this world when you've been remade for the eternal world. In fact, we could say it like this. Paul's kind of saying recreation for the eternal world creates more difficulty in this world. See, sometimes people think that whenever Jesus comes into our lives, everything in our lives will be better. No more problems, no more suffering, no more difficulty. Everything is just going to be good. But pretty quickly they find out that actually the opposite can be true. We've been remade for another world, but we're still living in a world that no longer we're comfortable in. We actually can become more uncomfortable because we don't belong here anymore. Let me give you an example. Before my wife and my family and I moved to Butler, we lived in Murraysville, east of Pittsburgh. That was where we bought our first house in 2012. We found this awesome house out in the country. We loved that house. We put a ton of time and sweat and money into making that house our home. And in the time that we lived there, we became very comfortable living there. There were a lot of things I really liked about that house. Like I could go out in the backyard and shoot a groundhog if I needed to at that house. It, it was my house, my home. I could play rock music at 2 in the morning if I wanted to. I could walk around in my underwear if I wanted to. I could get in my freezer and get ice cream with chocolate syrup when I wanted to. I could control the thermostat and the radio. I was very, very comfortable there. That's where I belonged. But then God called us to Butler, and we sold that house to a, a great guy named Bill and his family. And we don't live there anymore. 
But sometimes we'll, when we're back down that way, we'll drive past the house and we'll, we'll see, what have they done that's different? Just to check it out. Okay, we're being nebby, I admit it. But <laughs> Now what, if ha- what would happen if one time when we're driving past, we just didn't keep going, but I pulled in the driveway and I backed Bill's truck out of the garage and I put my car in the garage instead. And then I went upstairs and I got in his freezer and I made myself a, a big bowl of ice cream and I told him, quit buying that Aldi's junk. You got to get the Hershey's chocolate. That's, that's the good stuff. Don't be cheap. <laughs> then I got comfy in my undies and I sat in his recliner and watched his TV. It would get uncomfortable. For me, for him, and for his wife. It may be for you because you just got a mental image you didn't want to have. <laughs> same walls, same roof, same windows, same exact place on planet Earth. But I went from being super comfortable in that spot to now being very uncomfortable because I don't belong there anymore. I used to. Not anymore. It went from being my home to just being a house. And, and that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that when you've been remade for another world, it's going to be more difficulty in this world. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be less comfortable. See, I think this is where a lot of people stall out in their walk with Jesus. Maybe this was true in your life. I find it to be true in a lot of folks' lives. They come to Jesus because something in their life is feeling broken. Maybe they're under the weight of guilt for sin and mistakes, and Jesus offers forgiveness, or they just don't have any peace. And Jesus offers an incredible peace that they've never experienced before. Or maybe, maybe they look around the world and it's just this messed up, crazy place. And Jesus helps make some sense of it. Or maybe Jesus touches your life even physically. He, he makes you whole again. And you've moved from some place of pain and difficulty to a place of, of more freedom and a better life. A lot of people come to Jesus because they go from a place of com- uncomfortability to comfortability. But here's what happens when you start to follow Christ you'll find that not only does he want to be your savior, he's going to want to be your Lord, and he's going to start trying to make changes in your life about how you live in this world. And it can become uncomfortable. See, sometimes it can be like, Jesus, just give me a snorkel. I'd like it in the water. I realize I'm going to need a solution for when I hit the land, but if you'll just give me a snorkel, that way I can get some, some breath, and I'll have a plan in place. You've changed me for when I hit the land, but but I want to stay in the water. And that's what I think happens a lot of times in the lives of followers of Jesus. You reach some point where you just say, you've taken the pain off enough, Christ, and I don't want to go any further. Don't make me uncomfortable again. It's the, it's the spouse who just decides, you know what, it's too uncomfortable to try to fix things in my marriage. So I'm going to just try to find someone else. Jesus is calling you to, to work it out with the one you've covenanted with. He said, I'm going to find a solution somewhere else. It's that person who, who just, they can't give to eternal things God is doing in this world financially because it would just be too uncomfortable to make the choice to drive something more modest. It's the person who would come to church on Sunday morning regularly, but you, you never go beyond that to serving or to connecting with others in the church because it's just too uncomfortable to take something out of your schedule. It's the teenager who is liking and, and reposting volunteers comments because it's just too uncomfortable to risk not fitting with your friends. There comes this point in your life where Jesus is saying, I didn't come to be a snorkel. I came to change you to live for a different world. Now, 
I think we all have those moments in our lives where we face those things that Jesus is doing in our lives where because we've been recreated, we're living in a water world that we're not made for anymore and we feel uncomfortable. And if you feel that way at some place in your life, I just want you to know that is a good thing. Because what that means is that Jesus is pushing on something in your life that will lead you to a new frontier in your spiritual growth. Don't run from it. Acknowledge it. And say, Jesus, lead me forward. And that's what he's trying to do in Colossians. He's trying to lead them from the world that they used to live in into the world that God has remade them to be a part of. They've been changed. They went from being a spiritual tadpole and dead and, 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 and uh, as good as dead to a spiritual toad with lungs. Now, this brings us to the midpoint in Colossians. So if you have your Bibles open, you might notice that, hey, we're going from chapter 2 to chapter 3. But not only is it the midpoint in Colossians, physically, between two, uh, the first two chapters and the last two chapters, it's really the midpoint in Paul's argument. Up to this point, he's been talking about a lot of theological foundational issues. And he's going to head in chapter 3 and chapter 4 into some really life application practical issues. But he realizes that, that there's this sort of this idea that we have to latch on to before we're going to make it from one side of his argument to the other side of his argument. I kind of think of it like this. If you've ever seen the Indiana Jones movies, I think it, it's in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indy's in the temple. He's going to get some object that he has to get. And he comes to a chasm. He's got a cliff on one side. He's got to get to the other side. And what is he going to do? Well, well, thank goodness that there's a branch just growing out of the wall of the temple. I mean, what would have happened without that? So Indiana Jones takes out his whip, and he latches onto that branch, and then he swings across to the other side. And Paul is saying, hey, there's this idea that you've got to get a hold of if you're going to be able to swing from the theological, the practical, or the foundational stuff I've been teaching you over to the practical direction that we're going. Here's the branch. It's in chapter 3, verse 1. He says to them, since then you have been raised with Christ. There's the foundation that we just laid. Since then, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. A few weeks ago, we were driving around in the truck. I've got my son in the back seat. And it was quiet. And I know when it's quiet, he's thinking. So he asked me a question he was thinking about. He said, Dad, I have a question. My kids are getting older and they're getting smarter and their questions are getting harder. So most of the time, I just have to ask Google what their, the answer to their question is. But fortunately on this day, I got an easy one. He said, you must have been looking at the center console. He said, Dad, what's the difference between AM, FM radio and Sirius radio? Well, I knew the answer to that. I said, son, it just depends on what direction the radio is looking to get its signal. See, AM and FM radio look to towers that are on the land somewhere on the earth. They're looking down here to get their signal for what to play over their radio. But Sirius satellite radio is different, isn't it? It's not looking down here. It's looking up to the sky, up to a satellite to get its signal. If it looks down here to earthly towers, it'll seem like that serious satellite's broken. But it's not, because it looks somewhere else. That's what Paul's saying. He said, in your life, with what you're passionate about in your heart, with what you focus on in your mind, where are you looking for your signal? Are you looking to earthly towers, to earthly things? 
or like that serious satellite radio, are you looking at where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Where are you looking to prioritize, to get your perspective on the events and the things going on in your life? Paul could, could be summarized to be saying this. He said, view this world's realities in light of eternal world priorities. View this world realities in light of eternal world priorities. Because you've been remade, haven't you? You've been made for, remade for this eternal world. That's your world now. View what's going on here in light of the world that you've been made for. What's going on in your life right now? What, what are you facing? We all have our this world realities. Maybe it's a, a broken relationship that you're just dealing with every single day of your life. It could be a, a physical problem. You feel that pain in your body every day. When you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you feel, or maybe it's a worry, it's the first thought that pops in your head. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's even a, an exciting thing, a new job. You have a, a, a new this world reality that you're excited about. A brand new relationship. What are your this world realities? Paul's saying that whatever your this world realities are, view them in light of eternal world priorities. Because even though you're living in this world, in this water, you've been remade for another world. Some of the questions that I've learned to ask myself to do this are questions like, God, what are you trying to do in this situation? God, in light of this, what are you trying to teach me? How do you want to use me in this situation? What matters most to you about this, God? Let me give you an example. I share this with you because, you know, really, when I look at my life, this is an area that I have a hard time. I, I can get really focused and, and passionate on all of the this world realities around me. So sometimes what will happen, and maybe you can relate to this, I wake up in the middle of the night. It's usually around 3 in the morning. And I'll, I'll start to just get something on my mind. Maybe it's a problem I'm trying to solve. It's a task I'm really stressed out about trying to get fixed or get accomplished. It could be a relationship that I'm having some issues in. And whatever that thought is, maybe you've had this problem too, it comes to my mind and I can start just getting really focused on it. And the next thing you know, my mind kind of gets going and now I'm focused on all kinds of problems. And, and then I'm getting frustrated. Have you ever been there? You just get frustrated because now you can't sleep. And you know that you need that sleep to fix whatever you're frustrated about. And it comes, becomes this cycle. So what I've tried to discipline myself to do when this happens is to begin to ask God this question. God, why'd you wake me up? I'm, all, I'm focused on all of this, this world realities, but God, why did you wake me up? Did you wake me up because you have an eternal world priority that you want to bring to my mind in light of this world reality? So this happened a few weeks ago. This happens quite, quite often. A few weeks ago, I had this situation. I wake up in the middle of the night, kind of spend some time in that worry wormhole, you know, just getting sucked in. But then I remembered, hey, aren't you preaching about this in a few weeks? Maybe, maybe you could, should listen to your own advice. And I started to ask God that question. God, why did you wake me up? I really, I just want to go back to sleep. And, and he impressed upon me, I, I want you to pray. Okay? So I started praying, but then I realized he didn't want me to pray about just a whole bunch of stuff. There was a specific person in my life that that day, I, I knew that they were going through just some deep waters on some things. So God 
felt, I felt like he was just saying, pray for that person. So I did. I started praying for him. Just that person. That was the last thing I remembered. And I woke up the next morning and I looked over at my phone and I had a text message. Early that morning, while I was, well, after I'd fallen back asleep, I got a message that said that that person that I'd been praying for had experienced a real breakthrough in that issue that I was praying about and God had worked. That doesn't always happen, folks. I share that because I get excited when it does. But we just never know what God wants to do eternally in our lives through our this world realities. Is there a situation in your life right now that you're just saying, I'm just so focused on a this, this is going on in my life. Paul's saying, when you face those realities, set your minds on things above. Set your heart on things above. Tune your radio to things above and get your signal about that from the eternal perspective. He continues on in verse 3. He says, it's so important to do this. Because you've got to realize, in this life, you've died, and now your life, well, it's now hidden with Christ in God. Now, this isn't spiritual hide-and-go-seek. Let me explain what he's talking about here. The word for hidden in Greek is crypto. It, it's the same word that we get our word encryption from. So in fact, I think it's even better if we read this verse this way, take a little bit of uh, creative liberty, but you had died and your life is now encrypted with Christ and God. Let me explain what this means in light of what we've been talking about. Encryption in the technology world is when you take really, really important and sensitive information like your social security number, financial data, passwords, and it's transformed into characters that just seem like mumbo-jumbo if you would look at them without the right software to decrypt it. It's a way to hide it, to protect it, to make it look like nonsense to someone looking in on it without the right tools to make sense of it. And I think what Paul is saying here, we can take it to mean that, look, because we've been changed to live for the eternal world, and because now, now we're viewing our lives here in light of what God is saying from an eternal perspective, well, when you look at it, sometimes it's going to look encrypted. To other people. It's going to look a little bit like nonsense. See, what the, Jesus says to do in our lives eternally doesn't always make sense from this world's perspective. In fact, we could probably say it this way, because your life is hidden in Christ, only an eternal view makes sense of what in this world you do. Because Jesus has, has encrypted your life, because, because now your life is just different. You've been made for a different place. Only an eternal view makes sense of what now in this world you do. See, what happens is Jesus is going to say to do things with your money that, that this world, it's just not going to make any sense. Why would you give money away to that when you could afford to get this for yourself? It's going to make, make, a, make a lot of nonsense with your time. Why are you volunteering there? Those people are beyond help. Why are you trying to help them? Well, because Jesus says to do this. It might not make sense to you, but in light of eternity, this is really, really important. It might make, like, what we do in our relationships sometimes seem like nonsense. In fact, there's a really good example. Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite authors is Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York. And a few weeks ago, he put a, uh, a tweet out on Twitter that just sort of it created a big firestorm. And I was kind of paying attention to it. I thought I'd share it with you today because it really demonstrates this. this is, uh, these are some responses to the tweet that Pastor Keller put out. So this one person, she said, what utter bollocks. I think she must live in Manchester, right? So she's in England. Maybe that's a curse word in England. I'm sorry if you're from England. I, I don't know. I might really be offending you right now. 
This person said, I'm just trying not to laugh at this tweet. It's so ridiculous. What utter nonsense. Another person said, LMAO, idiot. And finally, this was probably the worst of the comments that I was allowed to put up here in church without really causing a problem and starting my own little Twitter firestorm. This person writes this, this is literally the teaching and doctrine that killed eight people in Atlanta. So what did Mr. Keller say that was just so incendiary? Well, this was his post that sparked all of this. He said, sexual love, if it's not expressed in an exclusive, lifelong covenant relationship, which is the eternal Christ view of sexual love, he said, if it's not expressed that way, it's dehumanizing. In other words, he's saying that the eternal view of sexual love is that it's to take place within the covenant of a marriage. And anything outside of that is less than what God eternally designed for us as human beings. And to the world, that can seem like utter nonsense, doesn't it? Why would you limit yourself to just that kind of expression? Well, because only an eternal view is going to make sense of what, in this world, we do. In fact, one person on Twitter really put it well. He said, imagine saying this, what Mr. Keller said, to a bunch of people who don't know Jesus. Well, you don't really have to imagine. He did it, and he found out what they thought. He said, without knowing Christ, this statement... Why I believe it to be true is the sound of nails on a chalkboard. See, when, when we've been changed to live for an eternal world, but we still live in this world for a while, but we start to live our lives in this world in light of that eternal world because we're changed, we're different, we've been given spiritual lungs, we no longer have spiritual gills, how we live in this world is often not going to make sense because we're living in light of eternity, not in light of the present. Jesus is going to call us to do things differently than this world does it. You might be here today and you might say, you know what? That's why I'm not a Christian. I'm just not ready to give Jesus that kind of control. And if that's what's holding you back from following him, I want you to know that I think that's one of the most integrity-filled reasons to not submit your life to Christ. Because at least you get it. You get it because you know that when Jesus comes into your life, he's going to call you to make changes. Sometimes people try to think that you can follow Jesus, but keep on living just like you're in the water. And Jesus says, no, you can't. I'm going to help you. I won't leave you swimming by yourself. I'll be there for you, but we're going to make changes. And so maybe you wonder to yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it to allow Jesus to have this kind of control? Is it worth it to allow him to change me? And to begin to live for an eternal world. Or maybe you're here today and you've been bumping up against something uncomfortable. You feel like Jesus is calling you to do in your life. And you've kind of been having that snorkel. And you say, I don't want to give it up. I want to stay in the water. I'm comfortable here. If I get out, it's going to be chilly. And you're wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it to really submit that area of my life? Or maybe you are here and you've submitted an area of your life. You said, I know you've changed me and I'm going I'm to live the eternal way you've called me to live, Jesus. And you're feeling the pain. You've been mocked. You've been ridiculed. You've, been, uh, you've suffered broken relationships. You've had people who just feel like what you're doing makes no sense at all. And you're wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it? verse 4 of Colossians chapter 3, I think Paul realizes that this is the question that many will ask. Is living for the eternal world in this world worth it? Paul gives the answer. He says, when you're living in this world, you can know that when Christ, who is your life, 
So you've been made to live for Christ. He's your life now. When he appears, when you cross from this world into the eternal world and you see Jesus, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's saying Jesus makes it worth it. Here's the thing about our faith. Some religions will tell you that, for instance, in Buddhism and Hinduism, that the faithful, the best that they can hope for is an escape from reincarnation and this higher plane of existence. Or a religion like Islam will say that the best that faithful can hopeful, hope for in the eternal world is a life of indulgence and pleasure. But our faith is different. Our faith says the best that you can hope for isn't a place, it's not pleasure, it's not some plane of existence. It's a person. It's Jesus. And so the question isn't, is it worth it? The question is, is Jesus worth it to you? Is Jesus greater than this world? Is Jesus greater than this world? What are you facing right now? What's that issue in your life that you're just not ready to get out of the water on? That issue in your life that you just feel like, I, I, I don't know that I can give this over to you, Jesus. I'm not ready to let it go. Is it a relationship? Maybe you're in a relationship right now and you know that this is not the relationship that Jesus would want you in, but you just can't, you can't seem to let it go. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an addiction. You're holding it on, you're holding on to it and you say, Jesus, I, I can't let this go. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe, maybe it's saying, I gotta, I gotta just hold on to them, Jesus. I, I, I can't trust you with that. This world is a dangerous place and I've gotta, I, I don't know that you can take care of them as well as I can take care of them. What in your life do you feel like you're clinging to in this world? Will you trust Jesus? Will he be enough for you? I want to invite you to stand in a moment if you're able to. We're going to sing a song, Christ is Enough. But maybe in your life, you've never even said to Jesus, I'm going to choose to follow you. Something's been holding you back. If today you want to follow Jesus with your life, and you say, I'm ready, Jesus. Change me. I can't do it anymore on my own. Change me. I want to give my life to you. There's a verse in this song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. When we sing that verse, I want to say to you, in your heart, sing it out to him, not just with your mouth, but say, today's the day I'm choosing to follow Jesus. I'm giving my life to you today, Jesus. You've never given your life to him, and today you want to do that. When we sing that, make that decision today. I want to invite you to sing now. as we Stand and sing with us as we sing, Christ is enough.